Hello there. <coughs> well, this is Alex Simmons. I'm solo today. It's uh, Sunday. I believe it's the 8th of July. Oh, it shows you how accurate I can be, or not. Uh, and I'm actually speaking to you without Chris, because um, I'm on one side of the Atlantic, and he's on the other. And unlike the Serbia episode we did, uh, our timing hasn't connected. So we'll, you know, we'll somehow hook up later and we'll talk and, uh, you know, make it a little bit more typical tell-the-damn-story. But, uh, as I said, I'm reporting to you from Hamburg, Germany. All right, and it's a lovely afternoon, sunny afternoon. I'd say maybe in the early 70s. Uh, sun's shining, birds are singing, the wind is blowing nicely, and I'm here just for the day. Um, and I thought I would take this opportunity to, uh, as, as a Tell the Damn Story episode, to just briefly um, talk about how environment or locations can affect or inspire a writer or a creator. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you who travel know that you go to a place and you see something that sparks your imagination or tickles your fancy or brings back memories from, you know, your past or makes you excited about the potential future, you know, all of those things. As a writer and even as a photographer or an illustrator, but, you know, speaking specifically as a writer, you, you look at the world around you and you, you see things. You absolutely see the people, the buildings, you know, uh, whatever Mother Nature has placed before you. You see all those things, but you're also observing with almost like a third eye. I'm not going to go metaphysical, but seeing certain things triggers not only, oh, isn't that pretty, or isn't that interesting, isn't that fascinating, isn't that horrid, isn't that, you know, bizarre, whatever. It also tracks almost like, you know, a sidetrack right into the basket of idea possibilities and inspirations and what-ifs, which is what I like to always refer to them as what-if. So I've never been to Germany before. I've flown over it, um, you know, but I've never been here. So landing, I'm, I'm in, what is it, the uh, Amber Cafe near, I'm on the corner of Stubenhook. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that properly, S-T-U-B-B. E-N-H-U-K. I cannot see the cross street sign, but it's a, it's a cute sort of pastry and yogurt and fruit juice and wood and, and curtains and the doors are open and there's glass windows all around and it's really sunny and the people here are really just, you know, they're, they're, they're nice, they're, they're open, they're warm, they're, you know, they're, most of them are younger than I am for sure, probably in their 20s, you know, somewhere. Um, but there's a good sort of inviting feel about it, and it's, it struck me as this is the place I wanted to sit to do this episode. So, I mean, that's the first thing. The environment said, come, sit here. This is a good nurturing, creative, or stimulating environment without being, you know, say, energized and rowdy, you know, which is also fun. So that's one of the things. But I've been walking around the city for the past three hours. Uh, actually, it was four, but I was with a friend for the first hour or so. And we got into a cab, and we, you know, the cab driver took us around and, and pointed out things, and that was all great, and that was exciting, and that was inspiring in its way. And then, you know, my friend and I had lunch, and then she wanted to go back to the, the ship. Uh, well, by the way, we came in on the Queen Victoria. Yes, I'm not, not name-dropping here. I'm just saying this is what happened. Came in on the Queen Victoria, and 
I'm only about five minutes walk from there now, but once she went back to the ship, you know, I went and I sat in a Starbucks. Yeah, they're all over the the world. Sat in a Starbucks and sort of processed what I had seen before. The people, the clothing, the accents, the energy, you know, who was flirting with who, who, who seemed sour, parents pushing children in baby carriages, all those things. There are a number of canals here in Hamburg. This is water and viaducts and all these things and so there's there's sunlight glittering off water there are tour boats and all of these things you know just sort of whirling around me and I begin to wonder things like okay this is wonderful the way it is right now or this is interesting the way it is now what was it like 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago and because I do you know um, uh, an action adventure series that takes place in the 1930s what was what was Hamburg like back then? You know, your 30s. You're talking about um, the time that leads up to you know the war, World War II. So you know, what was different? You know, and, and I, you know, it's not lost on me that I'm also you know an African American in this town, and I've seen other other blacks, whether they're African, West Indian, East Indian. I I don't know what, but you know, I've seen a few. But predominantly, I'm I'm this African I'm this African American walking around, and I'm. Uh, noting reactions to me and so that of course and it's not hostile you know I'm not painting a negative picture here I'm just saying you know some people see me go oh you know but what I'm also wondering is you know again what would it have been like in the 1930s what if my character Aaron Day who's, who's black what would it have been like for him here at that time and of course that sparks my thoughts about Jesse Owens and the, you know the Olympics 1936 so as a, as a writer and as a, as a a creative, you see things that don't just please you for the moment, but they offer up avenues and, and canals to other emotions, other ideas, some of which you'll use immediately or respond to immediately, and some of which you'll jot down. Hopefully you'll do that. You'll record it. You'll write it down. You'll draw a picture, whatever, and use it. You know, stockpile it and use it later in one of your stories or poem or as an inspiration for lyrics to a song or you know as an illustration or a painting but you know we we capture the moments that most titillate us and we store them and we hope that from that wonderful stories wonderful you know illustrations wonderful creative pieces will spring forth i mean that's how i function for sure and that's how a number of people that I, I know and respect also function. So as a writer, as a creative, part of your, your, your job, you know, which is a great one, it's a passionate one, I hope, but part of your job is to not only see, but also observe. When Chris was, you know, Chris and I were saying goodbye on the phone a few days ago before I left for here, uh, one of the things he said to me was, you know, we were talking about observations, and he said, not only is you're going to see things, but you're going to hear things, you're going to smell things, you're going to taste things. So again, all of your senses heighten when it comes to gathering material for your creative works. So when you, you go someplace, you know, what, what does that place smell like? Or what, is there a scent that comes to mind at some point, or crosses you, that you, you respond to in a certain way, and can you use that later? You know, not just perfume, but food, uh, 
um, smell of wet grass or clothing, um, sometimes a foul odor that, that, you know, strikes a nerve in you. And, and you can use that later, too, as one of your characters reacts in a similar fashion. These are all the things that we look at and, as I said, use as inspiration. And then just to go totally, you know, people over politics or go people-oriented totally. When I travel, you know, one of the things I look for is how people are living, you know. What kind of, what do I see? Who do I see? And no matter where I go, you know, from, from Africa to Germany, from the Netherlands to, to, to Moscow, you know, or to the West Indies, I see parents... Uh, reacting and at, interacting with their kids very much the same way, you know, good or bad. I see couples interacting pretty much the same way, good or bad. And yes, their culture, their upbringing is a factor, but there are a lot more common denominators than singular, only one place in the world does this experiences. So, that's my report today from Hamburg. I've taken a lot of pictures. I know there's going to be a lot of things going through my mind towards the end of this day as I, again, sort of sit and process and try and remember. And certainly, um, when Chris and I talk, I know he's going to ask me questions and hopefully even more memories will come forth, more observations will come forth. But for now, this is my episode, my solo episode of Tell the Damn Story. And this in particular is a value of observation you know, not just seeing, but observing, and then taking note of those observations and stockpiling them to use later in one of your creative efforts. Okay, hope that was of some interest, you know, or use or information that will stimulate and spiral you into a brilliant, uh, inspired, crazy, fantastic, passionate moment of creation. You guys take care. Talk to you soon on Tell the Damn Story. This is Chris Ryan from uh, Tell the Damn Story, and I'm in Pittsburgh at the Pope Fest. Alex is off doing Alex things around the world, and I'm here in Pittsburgh. And we're at the Pope Fest, and it's a lot of fun. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, make sure you uh, uh, check out Pulp Fest. But what I'm trying to do is to talk to some of the creatives here. And I'm here with Joab Stiglitz, who is an author of the Utgarda series. You want to correct me on that? That's good enough. It's good enough. And uh, so, hello, Joab. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm, uh, I'm really glad to meet you. There's so many fun people here this weekend. Um, talk to me about the Utgarda series. What's it about? Well, the Utgarda series is about my heroine, Anna Rykov, who is a Russian anthropologist in New York City in the 1920s. Okay. And as a female professional who could be a Bolshevik, she has trouble finding a job. Understood. So uh, when she gets offered a post by a trustee of a small college uh, to fill in her vacancy, she uh, accepts it, of course. And there she meets a couple other uh, uh, adjuncts, a professor and a doctor, Mm -hmm. a priest and a doctor, and the three of them become friends. A year later, the trustee who hired them all on his deathbed 
he didn't hire them on his deathbed. Yes, but he, was on but his he deathbed is now on his deathbed. He's now there, yeah. Right, right. <clears throat> a year later, he asked the three of them to address an indiscretion from his youth, which caused one man to literally lose his head wow. and another one to go insane. And uh, the first book, The Old Man's Request, is about how they deal with that. Wow. And then, and if I remember correctly, there are now four books to this series, correct? Yeah, there are four books to the series. The first three are a trilogy. Okay. And the fourth book is the first book of the second trilogy. All right, great. So, why this story? Well, um, I'm, I'm a big uh, role-playing gamer, and I've okay. always been fond of Call of Cthulhu. Okay. And I like the style of, uh, well, actually, Lovecraft's writing were kind of stale. Well, but some of his colleagues... Right, I his ideas are great. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So well, the whole yeah. idea of, you know, originally it had gothic horror. Right. It was all about man-defying God. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, over the centuries, that's got kind of pretty stale, too. Sure. So Lovecraft came up with this idea, well, he didn't actually come up with it, but he popularized the idea of... God doesn't really care about you. Well, there are things in the universe <laughs> who, compared to humans, are godlike. Right. But well, they, compared us compared to them are like ants or something. Right. We are completely insignificant in the universe. So now, how does this how does this follow that stuff? Well, in that genre of stories, right. the protagonists encounter some of these uh, alien entities. Mm-hmm. Some of which are godlike, some of which are just aliens, some of which are, you know, like studying humanity, or they all somehow end up intertwined with the fate of the planet Earth. Okay. And uh, in my books, Anna encounters several of them. Utgarda is, uh, I'll tell you about Utgarda. Utgarda is a uh, name for the uh, Norse god Loki. Sure. From. Uh, the Varangian culture. The Varangians are the Vikings who didn't go out to sea. They went down the rivers of Eastern Europe. Okay. And Utgarda was their version of Loki, the trickster god. Well, there's a prominent figure in the Cthulhu mythos, Nair Lapitev, who is always interfering in men, tricking them into doing things right. and otherwise subverting things for unknown purposes. And Utgarda does it in your world? Utgarda does it in my in my series. Cool. Midgarda might be Nyarlathotep, you never know. And there are other Lovecraftian or mythos entities from various authors who appear in the books as well. So this is uh, a book that should be a home run for Lovecraftian fans and that genre fans, but also role-playing fans. Yeah, and yeah. gaming fans. I mean, so that's it, a lot of people that could come and check out this book. Yeah, it's been very Dude, favorably received. Fantastic. Yeah, and you know, and the books don't have the. You, you can't read the die rolls in there. Right. They're they're not you know, like Warhammer <laughs> novels. They're actual books. Cool. Excellent. The first one is based on an actual Call of Cthulhu adventure. Okay. The second one is about fifty percent of the different adventure. The third one is entirely original. Cool. And the fourth one is. So we keep keep getting further and further out to new territory. The fourth one's all me. That's beautiful. <laughs> So talk to me about your um, process. How do we how do we get into these worlds, and how do we get four books written? Well, you know, if I wrote these 20 years or 10 years ago, even the first three books would have been one title. But, right. You know, these days you need a series. Right. right okay. But uh, <clears throat> the first three books are actually a um, novelization of a game campaign I ran. Okay. Uh, 
a very long time ago. Okay. I don't want to give away my age. Nah. Call 22. It, call it vanity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when, I, when I ran that game, I took a lot of notes. And they were just sitting on the shelf. In the meantime, I was writing something else, a Lovecraft, no, Tolkien-esque journey tale, which after 20 years went nowhere. Still journeying. Yeah, it's still <laughs> on the way. Actually, I thought about going back and re restarting that one, but you can't go back. So I just that, go forward. Just go forward. Yeah. I, when I turned uh, a certain age, I put that aside and I just started writing these, and they've just been flowing out since That's then. That's beautiful. That's great. So what is it? I mean, do you have a daily uh, writing uh, regimen, or is it is it stop? You know, is it uh, uh, like uh, a it's cycle? What do you think? Uh, well, um, these books were written pretty much a chapter a week. Okay, cool. You know, so I put the first four, first three of them out like every six months. That's great. And then the fourth one took a little longer because my day job sure. kind of heated up. And the fifth one I'm currently working on has been stalled because I've been really busy at work. Well, yeah, get, get to it because people are going to want to see it. I hope so. So um, are you a, uh, you know, they talk about um, plotters and panthers, right? Plotters kind of have the whole story in their head or have planned it out. I would imagine from role uh, playing uh, gaming notes, you might be a plotter, or are you more of a pantser or a combination? Uh, combination. <clears throat> like uh, all three of these books, actually all four of the books, when I, I outlined them, they were ten chapters. Okay. Uh, the finished products are all 20 to 30 chapters. Yep. You know. Well, I mean, that, it seems I, expanded I, or evolved or... I do, I do index cards, and then I think I have the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it always goes, you know, it's, that's the skeleton at best. Yep. And then yep. when you're in the moment, you gotta serve the, got to serve the story, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful, hopeful, glad to say that the end product is reasonably close to the original outline. Right. But better. But better, yeah. yeah. But better. Okay, it's cool. It's got three-dimensional characters in it and interesting places and people. And That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, so where can uh, gamers and Lovecraftians and, and uh, fiction aficionados, where can they find the Ugara series by Joab Stiglitz? Well, they're all available on Amazon. All right. They're available as paperback and PDF. Okay. Or ebook, I should say. And the first three books are also available on Audible. That's fantastic. Now I want to spell your name. It's J-O-A-B-S-T-I-E-G-L-I-T-Z. Dot com. Dot com. Go to the website, read more about it, then go to Amazon, buy them, read them, jump and live in that world, have a great time. Actually, there are, there's links to them on my website. Oh, even better. There you I go. The cafe press store. How about that? <laughs> cool. And how do you how do you enjoy that? Uh... Well, that one really hasn't produced much. But All right. get get to the cafe. The pictures are out there. You can get posters, t-shirts. Oh, cool. All kinds of stuff. Well, first we get them to read them, then we get them to be the cult. Cult of the. All right. Uh, this has been Tell the Damn Story with Joab Stiglitz and myself, Chris Ryan. Alex Simmons is probably saving the world. And we'll talk soon. All right, thanks. Go tell a damn story.
Chris Ryan from Tell the Damn Story, and I'm still at Pulp Fest having a good time, and we're here talking to Brett Brooks, who is the author of A Hand of Gold and Other Stories, a pussy catnip book, and Brett, you gotta tell me, how did this come to be? Well, I can actually tell you that pretty clearly. Um, about a year and a half ago, I read an article about the 10 strangest comic book characters ever created. And I'm a very hardcore comic book geek. And the only name on that list that I didn't immediately recognize was Pussy Catnip. And that made me go, well, who is this? So I did a little bit of research on the character. There were a total of 23 Pussy Catnip stories that were ever written. They always appeared as backups in Fun Comics, Fox Comics, and you know, Green Flame, things like that. Um, rib tickler, but anyway, uh, I read about her and for some reason I could not get the character out of my head. It just became the, I have to write a story. And that story <laughs> evolved into a full length novel. And, uh, the first novel in the series is actually called Red is the Darkest Color. And then the second one was The Devil Was Green. And the third book, which is an anthology of short stories, is A Hand of Gold, which you just mentioned. And she's a public domain character. It's about this anthropomorphic cat. Everybody in the series is an anthropomorphic animal, but she's an anthropomorphic cat that in the comic was either a hatchet girl or a club owner or a torch singer. <laughs> um, and she worked for either the Kit Kat Club or the Kit Kat Cafe, depending on which issue you were reading. But wasn't there another style mixed in? Yes, that's what I'm getting to. Okay. And it's like, and then they said, we want to do pulp. The, the, the guy who created it, as near as anybody can tell, is named Len Short. That's the okay. only name associated with the character. And he took things that were popular in 1942, and that was anthropomorphic animals, your mm -hmm. Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse types, oh. um, pulp noir, noir movies and things, <laughs> um, and superheroes. Okay. Uh, and smushed them all together. So you've got this pulp noir superhero anthropomorphic Catwoman. She drinks a magic potion, gets superpowers, and fights crime while working as a torch singer. And <laughs> I sort of... And she's uh, uh, anthropomorphic She's an cat. anthropomorphic cat, yes. <laughs> anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic pussycat, hence the name pussycat net. So now, um, once you found out who this was and... and uh, she got her claws in you. So to speak. Right. Um, how did you find the writing? Is this... I, 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 it was the easiest writing I've ever done, for whatever reason. I, like I said, I've always been a comic book geek, and I'm, I love the old noir films. Um, so all of this sort of just fell into place naturally with my system somehow. That's wild. And I wrote the first book in under a month. And the second book took me 45 days to write. Wow. Hand of Gold, because I had so many other obligations writing and otherwise that I was working on, took me a while to get out. And I wrote six of the stories in it. And there's six stories by other people who are immensely more talented than I am. <laughs> and, uh, and they couldn't wait to write Pussycat. Well, the weird thing is I talked to most of them and I said, um, in fact, none of them write in that genre. They're right. not crime writers. They're not superhero writers. Um, they, they write in all kinds of different genres. Um, 
but when I talked to him, you know, these are all writers I've known, and I, I talked to him about it, and they were like, yeah, sure, because they'd read the, oh, sure. most of them had read the first book, and they all came back with, to me with the, that was so much fun. <laughs> I have not had that much fun writing in such a long time. So, and and looking at the cover, fun is the first kind of uh, oh, yeah. vibe that pops off. It's 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 this weird mix of very noir storytelling with over the top superhero dynamics. I mean, I tried. I told them do whatever you want. I gave them a, a Bible, mm-hmm. a short you know two page Bible about where I set things up because I did streamline a lot of what was with the from the original comic because I just okay. went okay I, I need to define her powers I need right. to define her job I yeah, need to she define has to have all this one job exactly <laughs> she's now the owner of the Kit Kat club okay. so it's like well you know career um, advancement exactly and um and everybody took it their own direction I mean there's a there's a a story in there about a a mechanic dealing with uh uh, mob bosses. There's a story in there about uh, an out of luck uh, gambler. Okay. Um, about some, you know, rum runners, basically old uh, style prohibitionist rum runners, sure. uh, and several other stories. I mean, there's a lot of of really cool stories that so have been with, done. within the club or the world. Mm-hmm. There's so many directions to go. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, I use the Kit Kat Club as the center of my stories, but it's set in a city called Mutt Town, which I've created as a suburb of something called Big City. Okay. Because very 1940s comic books. You right, don't right. use real names for cities. Right, right, right. You know, for, if you don't know how all that originally worked, you know, Gotham was New York, Metropolis right. was Chicago, and, right. you know, things like that. And now... I've done that same sort of thing. And to me, this big city is Chicago, and this is she's on the south side of Chicago, but I'm not calling it that. And uh, it's just it gives you enough crime and dirt there that can be explored, but you know you can have things like a dragon pop up because it's bizarre. Because you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, I, I've just had way too much fun, That's and very cool. it's it's uh, I'm I'm delighted that it's been received as well as it has. So so if this was were to become a uh, um, a television series, what channel would you see it on? Oh, good is, lord! Is this more of a um, Adult Swim or is this more of an HBO or an AMC or? Where will you put it? Jeez, nobody's asked me that question well, before. That is a great question. That's um, why you come to tell the damn story. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best option of those that you just gave me would probably be Adult Swim, but I could see it on AMC. Okay. It's not an R-rated thing, so no. HBO is not needed. They tend right, to have right. a harder edge to their right, stuff. Right. Um, I as I, I tend to tell people, whoever they're looking at my books, I give them movie ratings because cool. they understand that. Right, everybody understands. That. Um, and so what rating are we? PG thirteen. Cool. The 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 Pussycat Net books are all PG thirteen. There's suggestive stuff in it. Right. And there's some language, but nothing. Nothing that, too crazy. Yeah, nothing that I don't feel. Any young teenager, you get cool. to twelve, even you know, it's like yeah, they would have zero problems. Cool. And if they're advanced, even younger. Because right. there's nothing that's going to upset fans. anybody. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about um, the writing behind this. Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, writing habits do you have? 
My writing habits lately have been horrible. But uh, but when you're producing, when I'm producing, I have, I I tend to set aside. That's really the truth, right? Everyone says I write every day, but we go back. Actually, when I'm productive, I am writing every day, and that's the best part of it. And what is your uh, what is your? I tend to write at night. I tend because I'm done with all my chores as I look at it, Mm -hmm. and then I set aside time and I just go and I write. I like to have some sort of sound on in the background. All right. So what do you listen to while you're writing this? Bad movies. I put really? bad movies on in the background. <laughs> Are they old 40s deals or it doesn't make a difference? It doesn't matter. It can be, you know, new movies, you know, that you would find on Netflix right. because God knows they have a lot so of you'll just horrible bad movies. Pick something up, throw it on throw the background. It on, throw it in the background That's and great. I'm writing uh, with that in the background because it's not something that's going to distract me but it's something that's not it's going to keep me from being distracted it blocks out the distraction exactly so I like to have that on in the background I don't want to have I don't want to put on a song that I know because I'll sing along with it yeah I have to be very careful yeah there's certain people that I'll you're singing the lyrics can't put Dylan on while I'm writing but sometimes uh, I can put um, a playlist on that sure yeah 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 and and because the Pussycatnip stuff set 19 well, in my mind, set 1940, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, there's, I will listen to some music from that era right, to get me in the mood bit, yeah. before I start writing, and then I'll put on the, on the, the, noise. the movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you a plotter or a pantser? Halfway. What I do, tend to okay. do... Um, How does that work for you? It works great for me. No, no, I mean... Um, the, the, oh, how do, how do I do it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I write a two-page synopsis of my novels. I take it and I write it out as two pages. And then I write the whole book. So that gives me an idea exactly how the book is going to go from a story point of view without any true details. It gives me the, you know, the the two-page version of the book. So you have a a little bit, uh, maybe like a clothesline, right? Right, exactly. A a spine or something. I know where I'm going, but I don't structure it so much that I can't change it if I need to. Sure, because we all change. Sure, and anybody who tells you otherwise, you know, but that's, I I know people who do the three-by-five cards, and they'll even pull those out and replace them all the time. I do the index cards all the time, and then, you know, if, if something's going another way, Okay, I'll get back to what sure. I'm doing. Yeah. And mo- most of the time, I, I go along just fine. In um, in the first book, though, Red is the Darkness Color, I actually wrote an entire really long chapter that when I read it, when I, when I went read through it, I said, this is entirely unnecessary. And I pulled out the entire chapter. <laughs> That's great. And it didn't didn't hurt the story one bit. Do you need to know the ending before you begin, or do you just like to discover I it as the readers? I always have an end goal. Okay. Um... Um, that does change sometimes. Mm-hmm. I know the gist of what's going to happen. The specifics of it often are altered. Okay. Um, and that's true of every book I've ever written. Not even not just the Pussy Gatnip stuff, but. What I, else have I, you written besides that? Uh, I've got a a, a zombie-ish mm-hmm. novel. It's, and my wife likes to call it the best zombie novel she's ever read. That's not about zombies. It's called. <laughs> uh, it's called Edible Complex. Okay. And yes, it is got a, a humor aspect to it, hence the the pun in the sure. title. Um, and uh, it's basically a story of self-discovery. Okay. Zombies just happen to be the machine that moves that story along. Cool. And uh, 
then I have a fantasy series called Champions of Elan that has two books out. Those are R-rated, by the way. Those are R-rated. Just so you know, don't let the kids read those. All right. Um, that has two novels out in it, Harmonia and Child of Shadows. Cool. So uh, what drives you to write in one style or the other? tend to always write in a pulp sense. Okay. Hence just... the reason I'm at this show. Right, right. But it's... A, uh, I very much was heavily influenced by comic books and pulps and that kind of book when I was growing up. Right. And so when I'm sitting down to create a story, I tend to structure them in right, that, that manner. That's what made us feel alive. That right. Was just, yeah, I, so. I have very... Sh- my... my sh- Stories read very quickly. Mm-hmm. They're very punchy. They they tend to get right to the point. Cool. Um, uh, I've been told that I'm a literate writer mm-hmm. in the sense that I tend to write more like fine literature okay. in my in my actual writing. But I still feel that it's short and punchy, okay. the Hemingwayish, if you will. Right, right, right. So excellent. So. Um, People who are interested, who have listened now, and they want to get uh, their hands on either the R-rated or that, and that title again. Uh, Harmonia is the first one in that series, but again, all of my books stand alone. You don't have to read any Anything? of them to re- read any of the others. Cool. Or if they want to go to uh, Pussy Catnip, where do they find all these? You can find, of course, everything on Amazon. All Thank right. you, Amazon. Because Amazon is the world. Yes, and um, <laughs> you can look for Brett A. Brooks because there is Brett. another writer by the name of Brett Brooks okay. who doesn't. You know, strangely Doesn't enough, write Pussycat, does damn not, it. <laughs> but we both live in Atlanta. Go oh, figure. Really? We, we met each other at, at Dragon Con a few years ago. It was very funny. <laughs> that. So Brett A. Brooks is the author you're looking for. Not and, Brett Brooks. And on Amazon. Or uh, you can go to Pandahead, one word, P-A-N-D-A-H-E-A-D.com. Okay. And that will get you to my site, which will show you how to get oh, to everything fantastic. else. fantastic. And ahead. Yeah, that's the name of my publishing company. That is a fantastic name. Thank you. All right. <laughs> is there anything else you think people should know? Um, that that I'm a wonderful human being. There you go. And and deserves that, your attention. And and, and that <laughs> I, I really look forward to eating a pizza next week if you can support me. Please, um, please. May May I have some more, sir? Um, Excellent. All right. Well, Brett, thank you for your time. Thank you. For and your, uh, t- thanks for telling us how you tell the damn story. Yeah, you're welcome. Appreciate it. <laughs>